Hey everyone, welcome back to Film Flock, and if you haven't been here before, well, welcome to you too. I'm Andy, and today I had an interview with Daniel David Stewart. Now Daniel is a director, writer, producer, actor, singer, just all of the above on the list that you can be of anything ever. And he's absolutely amazing at all these things. And today we talked about some of the short films he's been involved with, including TV shows and feature films he's been in. And we mostly talked about Blowout, a film he helped create, um, which was featured in the 2020 Sunset Cinema Blackbird Film Festival. And yeah, it was just, we had an overall great time. I do have to warn you, there are some technical difficulties throughout the interview. I know my mic sounds atrocious, but Daniel sounds great. So let's just get right into it. Here we are with Daniel David Stewart. Um, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. It's already been a pleasure. We're having some amazing technical difficulties right off the bat. Um, so you directed a film called Blowout, which is in the 2020 festival, our Sunset Cinema. And I mean, I've watched the film, I think two or three times now. I love how it's like a great balance of tension and comedy. Um, <laughs> I love how you made the balloon, which it's, if people don't know this, the balloon's name is Benji in the film. Which is never stated in the film. Uh, it was more of a last minute choice that Michelle made. Uh, Michelle is actually kind of the main, probably, I would say driving, we were co-driving forces behind the film, but like she was the idea and then the actor and everything else. So then, uh, yeah, but I, I all those little weird idiosyncrasies were just fun things that we kind of like bandied about you know yeah but i love how benji had life um which made the film all the more fun and it's simple and effective and is quite a bizarre film um if you haven't checked out if you haven't checked out blowout i highly recommend you do it is on vimeo now that we have the intro i do have some questions about blowout um I just want to know, like, you were talking about how Michelle was, you both were driving um, forces about this film. I just want to kind of know how you were brought onto this project or like how you were, this project came to be, I guess. Um, so Michelle, who at the time was my girlfriend and now is my wife, uh, which we got, we eloped during quarantine. So it's been a, it's been a quite a journey the last year or so, but um, basically she had, um, written some amazing uh, short films, like a series of short films. Uh, and they were all tied up with a production company at that point that were thinking about, well, if it was gonna be a series or what if it was gonna be that? So she was working on making a series based around similar ideas of kind of uh, anthropomorphized objects. And so every single short there were like, it was a girl alone in her apartment with all these uh, objects that would anthropomorphize and one it's her running shoes and one it's a trash can you know it's all these different things and so um she had all these great shorts that she'd written and we were both getting tired of like waiting for other people to give us the green light on things and at that time she was like I just want to make these. I just want to make these all. Initially, we, she, we was just thinking like make them on an iPhone. We'll just make them like in our apartment just for fun, just for us. Um, but I'm just tired of not making. And I read them and I was like, well, these are too good to not, like if we're gonna do one of these, we should like do it. 
and I read Blowout and I was like just obsessed with it. It was just two and a half pages of insanity. And I was like, this is incredible. But I knew that like the work that it would take to get the balloon to move, to get a transition from day to night, to get all these things was, if we were going to put in the work to do that, I wanted to look, you know, as good as we could make it on as little money as possible. And so that sort of led us to, you know, getting my friend, uh, a friend of mine's friend, who then became my friend named Marshall to come in and DP. And uh, yeah, it sort of just went from there. It was this, it was lean and mean, and she was going home. She's from uh, Canada. So she was going home for a minute and she was like, well, can we shoot this in like three weeks when I get back? Like, so from the inception of the idea of like, I'm like, you could find someone to direct it. She was like, maybe you could just direct it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, she basically was like, can you do this in three weeks? Like all pre-production in three weeks. And I was like, I can try. <laughs> and so she went away for like a couple, few weeks, like two and a half weeks. And in that time, I was just like in my apartment, looking like an insane person surrounded by different balloons with different levels of shine to see like what would actually reflect, you know, cause I wanted to get something that wouldn't reflect the camera back at it. So you're trying to get a matted balloon, we're trying to decide what shape we want the balloon. Do we want it to be a happy face balloon? Do we want it to be, uh, you know, a heart-shaped balloon, you know? And then that's, so all the time, I was just going to this one balloon shop in LA over and over again to try to find the right balloon, right Benji, you know? And uh, and like sending them back to Michelle, and like, what is this? And then I was taking like, strings and attaching it to try to see if I could be out of a room and get the balloon to move with me not being in the room all with like fishing line and plastic like hooks um you know just like the most DIY thing that I could possibly do um and luckily I had a friend who randomly uh works with the Jim Henson company and she uh so I went over to her house and I'm like how could I potentially get this thing to like look like it moves and she like gave me a bit of a crash course on just like how you could get the balloon to kind of move and feel like it has life. So, I mean, all the balloons movement in the, in the short is like me. And I think Nikki, who is my friend came in and did like, she was able to help out for like an hour on the actual day, but all the other movement was just like me with a monitor on the floor like moving the thing around to the music and all that stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy, uh, like rush through the whole thing. Um, and then a long, much longer post process because even though there's no dialogue in the film, it's a very music centric film. And it's a very, it means there's a lot of sound design. Uh, that when you're making, you're, you're you're thinking towards it, but you're not. You're you're kind of just in the rush of making it and trying to get a whole short shot in a day uh, with six people in your apartment while you're setting off four different fire alarms and you're almost getting evicted. So that's like what you're dealing with, and then you're, you know, and then it went into the post production process, and then that took 
much longer than I expected, but that's also because I was editing and I was doing everything else. And it was the first time for all of this, first time directing, first time art directing, first time all this stuff. So it was, uh, it was like a great, it was like going to films, like a full year of film school, I felt like in one month you were just like kind of thrown into it. And that's why really when people are like, I want to make film, I'm like, find some friends and just do it. Nothing will teach you more. Nothing will teach you more than just doing the thing. Uh, which is why good film schools mostly are built around doing the thing, <laughs> you know. And that you actually answered um, one of my questions. Um, I really have it down on my little notebook right here. How hard were the balloons to work with? That was one of my questions. Oh, very, very, they wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. They were actually on the day, they weren't that difficult to work with. It was more just like trying to get the right movement. And we just would like keep the camera rolling and get a ton of different movement. And then, uh, you know, you, you make it, you just make it work, you know? Uh, so yeah. And it's like, Gosh, I imagine if I'd look back on the film, because now it's been a, a bit of time since we shot it. I, as with any first thing you ever make, you're like, oh man, I do this differently. I like set this differently. I think about this beforehand. Um, but yeah, it's. I think we were really proud for what we did with literally no budget and no time <laughs> in our apartment. Uh, you know, and to get you know people to laugh or to have a fun weird time for you know seven minutes is is a blast so yeah and that's exactly what that film does i yeah i had an absolute blast watching it when you were like doing your sound design and like picking songs to go with the film i i just have to ask like where did you have an idea of what type of songs you wanted beforehand or was that like a in post i'm sitting there and this is what I'm coming up with. The song was the, hands down, I think the most difficult part of everything because when we shot it, you know, we were just in a rush on the day and we're like, we'll, I was like, Michelle just put something on, like, she was like, I'm just gonna put on something that I can dance to and I'm just gonna go and then I'm just gonna dance forever. And then, you know, we're going to make her sweatier, we're going to make her whatever, so we can have the transition of her, like, getting drunker throughout this party. Um, and so she put on um, Feel So Good by Maze, which if anyone doesn't know, it's a song that goes, Bad, 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 bad boy, you make me feel so good. Oh, you make me feel so good, you know? So it's classic, like, 90s jam. And she just, like, went to town dancing on this song forever. So when I initially edited it, I was like, okay, it, it, I sort of like did double the amount of work because I edited the whole short. The whole short is kind of built around a song. Like it's a, the big centerpiece of everything that kind of drives everything. And you're editing everything to the song to match the song, almost like a music video. So you're, <laughs> I'd edited the whole short to feel so good by Maze. And I, I knew at a certain point, I'm like, I can't use Feel So Good by Maze. There's like three or four samples in this song. It would cost like twice the amount that it costs to make the film or more just to get the song Feel So Good by Maze in the film. And uh, unless I really just like did it 
like without telling anybody and hope that no one found out and then didn't get sued later. You know, that's the hope. But I was like, I'm not going to do that. I want to do this the right way. So I had, um, but so I was like, okay, well, I just have to find something that's the same BPM and the same feel as Feel So Good by Maze. And I quickly realized that nothing in the world sounds like Feel So Good by Maze. It is like a a million song that sounds just like that and I can't think of another song that sounds like it so I was going through all this like free music stuff and trying to find a beat trying to find something that would match I went over to my fr- I was with my friend Ella and she we have a mutual friend named Logan uh, filmmaking is all mutual friends and mutual friends <laughs> and uh, my my friend Logan I'd forgot uh, and my friend Ross had a kind of like composing collective that they were working on called Fallen Swan, where they were composing stuff for Ella's short films. And I was like, oh, I didn't think to ask Logan and Ross if they were interested in jumping aboard and doing this. So I went over to my friend Logan's place and we sort of just, he had this library of just like all this stuff that he had built, but hadn't used for anything. And we were just going through song after song after song after song and nothing was feeling right and i and at that point i'd still had this idea that i wanted something like funky and sexy and something that was like uh like fun and sexual and and more like had that kind of energy to it and then he had this song that i think was called uh either tonka boy or tonka i think it was called tonka truck and it stuck out to me because when I was a kid, my name, my nickname that my parents gave me was Tonka Boy because I would just like, I was terrible. I'd just run into walls and not like, I'd fall down and be like, fine. Uh, <laughs> so I became Tonka Boy for a long time. And um, they, uh, he was like, he quickly skipped over it because it wasn't the right feel, but there was something about it that was like, wait a minute, that it's like, it was, a, it was a less iteration of what's basically a much longer version of in the short, uh, where it's, it was this ridiculous, um, you know, basically I, I likened it to like an junior high eighties dance, like this, like cute, kind of like very innocent, like fun, uh, grating song. And he'd skipped over it. And I was like, wait a minute, no, 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 go back. Let's go back to that last one. And he left to go to the bathroom. And I, as he was in the bathroom, I was just sitting there listening to it. And what we were doing at the time, which I thought was really smart is I, I had the edited version of the short and I just put it on silent and let it run with the different songs playing over it. And I was like, what feels right? Like maybe I'm just, too beholden to an idea and I just need to see if there's something that sparks and some reason that over it I like got a physical laugh out of it and I was like oh whoa that's so different than feel so good by maze and I think what we found which was really cool as we went through the rest of the process and ended up using that song and going down the rabbit hole and adding there's a, there's a thing in the film for those who haven't watched it that's like this is so much fun which is just me uh, it, all, it's from the baking show that's at the beginning of the short that's on the laptop 
eh, which is me and my friend Misty doing all this British voiceover uh, to be a <laughs> fake uh, <laughs> British baking show, and uh, which Michelle wrote all that dialogue in a day, which was amazing, and then we just like shot it out. Uh, but then, yeah, so I, that's throughout the song, but. Basically, I think what we learned through the process or felt through the process is like, oh, it's a lot easier and I think we're better to go from cute to scary, like innocent to scary, than sexy to scary. Um, you know, uh, because I think a lot of, <laughs> I think so, a lot of people probably intertwine sexy and scary in one thing. So it's kind of a tried and true thing that a lot of people do. Uh, and for us, I think we were looking to do something. Well, what if it's something that's really innocent and fun that turns like really spooky? And that's sort of a thing that Michelle and I really have a like-minded brain about uh, in both the things that we write separately and the things that we write. Uh, yeah, so I'm, that's sort of, the music took the most time because then that song was not the same BPM as Feel So Good by Maze. So then I had to re-edit the entire short to fit the song but it became way better because of that you know and so that's how uh there's not a perfect science you know <laughs> i wish i had in a orders and it would have cut like two months off the process or whatever but i think that like uh when you're doing it pro bono you know you're doing it yourself and you're you're spending your personal time on it it's like you just sort of fly by the seat of your pants a little bit and you do your best to to plan as much as you can <laughs> and then take the hard hits as well as you can, yeah. I guess. Very true. Very true. I always know when I'm editing anything, um, the music is always my hardest part, A, finding it, and then B, finding the right one to put with whatever video I'm editing or film. Um, so yeah, I definitely can relate to you with that, with the music part. I always, whenever I'm editing, I always dread trying to find a song because I always find myself looking for hours for the right just something that feels right for what I'm doing. And yeah, I should add that one of my favorite shots um, in the movie, and this is kind of a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, is when um, Michelle stabs the balloon with a bobby pin and the eyes on the balloon go from, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of what the eyes were in the beginning. It was just like stickers on the balloon, wasn't it? They're just regular, they're just googly eyes. They're actual like googly eyes that like bounce around. And yeah. then it just went to like the axes. I thought that was hilarious. That was, I love that so much. <laughs> oh no, I'm saying that, I think that's how like a lot of, a lot of people love that moment of, uh, love the, uh, the X's on the eyes moment. I think that's, I think whenever we went to go to a film festival to see it, uh, that was the moment that we, we got really excited about i think well no i think the first moment that we know people are in it are when uh when the balloon first turns around and the first reaction of people you could tell like okay if they like kind of give a laugh they're in it and then when the music starts and the balloon starts dancing and there's this like bigger reaction you're like okay thank god like they're in this and it excites you because that you know they have no idea where it's going to go from there and it's going to happen real quick and uh i love that i just love that i love that we can like give people this like fun cute thing and then rip the rug out from under them <laughs> and honestly that's the the big thing i want to say about that is that michelle is like uh, amazing in short and like the fact that she's 
was able to, um, you know, we're both actors, but I, I really, you know, because there's so many emotions in such a short amount of time, you know, she's like crying and snotting at the nose, like, like so soon, like literally 10 minutes later, we're like laughing and like hopping around having a great time. So like she was in one day put through like this emotional ringer <laughs> for this set. So I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's people kind of take that for granted when they don't, when they watch it, they're like, you know, I think they notice it, but then they don't realize how difficult it is to actually balance all that in such a truncated amount of time, you know? Yeah. She's absolutely phenomenal in the film. I remember sitting there watching and I was like, holy cow, like, yeah, exactly. People definitely don't give it, give her enough credit for, I mean, just like you said, I can't put it in a better phrase, like that emotional gauntlet that she went through while doing that. It's just, yeah, it was phenomenal. So I want to dive into your acting career a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So Catch-22. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, that's absolutely. I remember when I was getting ready to schedule this, um, I just looked you up, did a little quick little background search um as i do with most of the people we have on this podcast and i saw catch 22 which caught my eye a because i had to read the book in high school and b yeah a lot of people that yeah yeah and b i was sitting there and i was like whoa this is like a like a big time thing this is like i was kind of surprised i looked at the cast and i was like and then i saw george clooney the director and i was like whoa this is actually really cool. So just, I mean, I mean, just whatever you want to say about it, go ahead. Cause I am interested no matter what, what do you have to say? Oh man, Catch-22. It was a, like one of the biggest, I think, growing experiences of my life probably. I think like I, you know, I'd mostly done a lot of theater up till that point. I'd been doing TV film, but like smaller things like bit parts and, uh, and I'm a very, for those who can't uh, see me, I'm a very strange type uh, in terms of, I'm a redhead, uh, which it all, we always get typed into a weird place anyway, but um, I'm a redhead that doesn't look like the stereotypical, like idea of what when people think of a redhead, they think of like a guy with like freckles and like super curly cues and, you know, so I've spent most of my life kind of going out like into a room uh, you know, for redheaded parts and redheaded things and, and knowing every other redheaded actor in LA, <laughs> uh, what they're working on, what they're doing. Um, you know, so it's, it's a kind of weird, uh, thing to be in, but Catch-22 is a, a, a really strange kind of out of the blue thing where I went out to lunch with a friend, uh, who had just got through auditioning for Milo, who's a big part in the show, um, that I ended up doing. And I was like, I knew he'd just come from an audition. I'm like, oh, what were you auditioning for? He's like, I'm audition I was auditioning for this part called Milo and this show called Catch-22. He's like, there's a ton of young guys in this thing you have to go in for. And I was like, of course, it's Catch-22. Of course, I know what that is. And I was, uh, I reached out to my agency at the time and they were like, we've tried to get you in on this. They don't want to see you. They don't think you're right. I, the casting assistant on it was someone who knew me throughout the years, just going in for him. He's like, we, they don't think you, you look right or can be like army enough for this. And so I was like, let me do a tape. Let me do a tape. Let me do a tape. So I went out and I got my hair cut 
and I like got a full, basically the full kind of exact outfit that John Voight wore for the role in the original movie of it. Like very, very, pretty much exactly the same outfit. Like, and like did this tape. Uh, and my manager at the time actually had said to me that like after I'd sent it to him, I spent hours, hours working on this tape. Uh, doing this very specific idea that I just, I thought it was Milo. I thought it was who the character was. And he got back to me and he was like, I don't think I, he didn't want to send it. He didn't want to send the tape. He like, didn't think it was right. He thought it was too much or, you know, that the costume was too much. I'm like, they can't see it. They can't see me as this part. So I'm going to show them what the part looks like. Uh, and thank God I sort of just followed my gut and did that because they, you know, ended up liking it. And, you know, there are a ton of stories of like the waiting process of four, three, four months of just maybe not that long, but like two and a half months of just waiting to find out if I got this part. I had to do a full other tape. Like it was this crazy thing. Cause I was this nobody that nobody really knew. Still nobody really knows. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so having to prove to people that I could handle like, you know, a, the second biggest part in the TV show was like a really big, uh, you know, thing at the time. So I, uh, yeah, it was this crazy long process. And I think, you know, I went into that journey, uh, kind of still a kid in some ways, you know, and just cause I was so green and I wanted so bad to be, uh, to be liked and to be, <laughs> uh, like, as everyone does, right? You know, you want to be liked, you want to, be, everyone goes in, they want to be buds with George Clooney, or you want to like have like this, uh, everyone is going, this can be something really special. And I think that puts a lot of stakes on it, especially when everyone's telling you that, you know, this is going to change your life and this is going to be this amazing thing and all these doors are going to open up for you. And so I, I treated it with like this intense level of like, reverence for the material and for everything else and I just wanted so bad to like make sure the work was great and all that stuff and I think the work did end up good but I at the same time look back on it and I go oh my gosh I was so overwhelmed and so uh in my in my personal self trying to be something I necessarily wasn't in order to fit into an idea of what being a great actor was or whatever that was you know and that doesn't mean I was like a diva or that I was like an asshole or anything. I think you just look back on things and you're like, I wish I would have uh, been as like, as acknowledging as a human as I am now, as I was back then. But at the same time, if I hadn't gone through that thing and didn't have a partner like Michelle to be able to be like, hey, are you okay? You don't seem like yourself um, throughout all that then I don't think I would have grown or changed or been, you know, the person I am today. So Test 22 was this crazy, incredible experience. Like it was working with some of my favorite actors in the world and getting to go to like first day on set, first day of filming, you're jumping on set. You're like, okay, it's five pages of you talking at Hugh Laurie, go. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Okay, like uh, let's do this and walking, doing a walk and talk between 500 Italian extras in Sardinia on the island off of Italy. And you're like, what is life right now? Like I 
basically broke and working at my hometown mall selling portraits like that of this guy that my family randomly knew for like eight bucks an hour at Christmas time. And then four months later, it's like, you're in Italy shooting this huge part in this huge mini series. Like what? So I, I guess what is cool is that for a lot of people that feel like it's impossible, I can kind of go, hey, it's not impossible. It's really random and it's really crazy sometimes, <laughs> but I'm living proof that like you could go from working at a mall and not having any job prospects to being like a big part in a big series with George Clooney as your director, like a few months later, it's, it's pretty wild how that stuff can happen. Yeah, definitely. That is, yeah, that is cool how you say that. Like, I don't know, I'm just blown up because I was trying to figure out how that process happened. Um, I guess not really as like, um, say like a seasoned actor, you'd say this was like your fourth series or like your fourth feature film or something like that going into it. Like this was, as you said, this was truly like you're going in filming and you're like, well, this is kind of a different, like you're in deep water now. You're kind of literally thrown into the deep end, literally like we're going thrown into like an ocean and going like swim and you're like, and I'd done film, but like all the stuff I'd done before was like, you know, really low budget sets or, or first time directors or, you know, people that it, the process is just a different kind of process. Whereas in this process, everyone's just expecting like show up and be professional and do your work, you know? And I, like they're just things I didn't know, like in the moment, like on set, like that George would have to come up to me and be like, hey, so you can't actually like, because we're doing a two shot, you can't stop the scene and start over because we can't cut into that. So like, if you're on your own line, you could stop and redo the line again. But like, if you're, you know, whatever. And you know, I'm terrified at every moment because I'm ter you're terrified up until you're done shooting, up until the show comes out that like, you could shoot all this and they could cut you from the whole thing. Or you could, you know, you're, you're expecting for any second for the shoe to drop and for them to be like, hey, Dave Franco's coming to take your part. <laughs> we, had, we had this ongoing joke that we thought was really funny, me and Michelle, that like, specifically Dave Franco was gonna come and like take the part. And uh, I don't know why it was specifically Dave Franco that, uh, oh, because, it was because um, when they were um, casting, like all the casting announcements were coming out for Catch-22, there was somebody in the comment section that I had read, which is never go there for anybody ever. Just don't go to the comment section and say, quick recipe for disaster. But um, this one person was like writing their dream cast of like who they would cast in these parts. And someone put Dave Franco as Milo. And so, <laughs> I was like, we had this ongoing joke that Dave Franco was going to be like coming in to take over this part the entire time I was there or that, and that I was going to turn to him taking over my life. And like, <laughs> it's very much like blowout in the sense that it's like starts as something cute and innocent. And then all of a sudden it's like terrifying. And I'm like waking up in bed next to Dave Franco and he's like in my life, you know? Uh, and then on the very last day I finished shooting uh, Michelle 
is coming out to Italy so that we could go on a little trip after as like this adventure, you know, a celebratory adventure of like I shot my first big thing, like cool. And I'm walking into the same hotel I've been in in Rome for like the last month. And walking out is Dave Franco. <laughs> out the same hotel that I've been staying at for the last month. And I'm going like, I called Michelle. I'm like, Michelle, Dave Franco just walked out. <laughs> Hotel. And I was like, it's happening. They're they're bringing him in. They're going to put up the green screen. They're going to everything and just superimpose his face over all my role um, <laughs> to make it work. Um, no, he happened to be out there shooting some like uh, some crazy like action film or something. And then we went to Florence on our trip. And then that action film was now in Florence shooting at the same exact time we were shooting there. So it's just like Dave Franco now was in our life. It was so funny, man. It was such a, uh, just a weird aside for you guys there. Um, <laughs> Dave Franco would have been great. What can I say? And there's people who probably listen to this who watch Catch-22 and they're like, should have been Dave. Man, should should have been Dave. Should have been Dave. Oh my gosh. Well, I think that's, a good place to end. Um, I want to give you a plug for any future projects. I know you're in an upcoming film. Um, so if you just want to do a plug for anything you're doing. Oh yeah. Um, anything I'm doing. I mean, acting wise, I'm, I'm, there's, uh, I have a movie that I was in called Silk Road coming out with me and Nick Robinson and Jason Clark, a lot of great people, uh, that comes out, I think like around, end of this month, like sort of February 24th, something like that. Uh, and I think it's coming to like uh, VOD uh, streaming. So like wherever you could rent videos everywhere will be there. And then I think then it will eventually uh, potentially have a home living on Hulu, I think. I think that's where it's going to potentially end up. So my home is apparently Hulu. We got Cash 22 there. You got that. So, um, uh, yeah, and then the other thing I have is that I'm in the second season of this show called For All Mankind on Apple. Uh, and we're about to go into shooting the third season of that sometime middle of this year. So uh, that's that's cool. Uh, a little alternate history. Uh, what if the Russians landed on the moon first kind of show. Uh, I, I, can it, I liken it to uh, Mad Men in Space kind of <laughs> vibe. Um, yeah, and then other than that, I mean, weirdly, what mostly I've been working on the last uh, like six months of my life, life is I'm about to go into the studio and uh, a month and record uh, my first full-length album. Uh, so I'm have a big music project coming out this year. The first singles will be released in the summer, and then the album will probably drop in the fall. And so that's sort of taken up most of my creative energy for the last uh, half a year of my life <laughs> during quarantine that and getting married and uh, other things. So yeah, it's, uh, hopefully this year is a good kind of like creative, uh, you know, once again, doing doing things I've never done before, but uh, doing, you know, following whatever my heart is telling me the joy is, you know, just follow where the joy is. And I think that's the way that, you know, life is survivable, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm definitely gonna have to take a listen when your songs start getting released and your album comes out. Yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. It's just going to be under Dan. It's going to probably be under Daniel David Stewart, but like all lowercase are kind of cool, you know, like 
most dumb indie things, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I know I can't wait. Thanks for joining again. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Well, there you have it. There was the interview with Daniel David Stewart. I need to thank all of you for listening to The Film Flock. If you want to check out more podcast episodes or anything like that, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you're going to get your podcast needs. Uh, if you want to check out our Instagram, just look up The Film Flock. If you want to check out the Blackbird Film Festival, just type in blackbirdfilmfest.com and it should pop up on anything that you use. Um, but yeah, once again, thanks for listening and maybe I'll see you next time. Thank you.